Uh, oh, maybe that's why you couldn't open it. I don't know, Heather, if it's available in any other format. I'll, I'll, I'll try and find it on YouTube. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Okay. Hello, Leslie and Sydney. Good and morning. Good morning, everybody. Okay. Let us begin. So first of all, happy 2024, everybody. Um, and Dana, we mentioned the name of the man that we are praying for today. God willing, his surgery should be happy. Uh, happy. His surgery should be smooth and successful. And may he have a complete recovery. Um, I'll say his name again, because for those who are listening to the recording, David Binyamin Ben Yehudit. Okay, welcome, Lisa. All right, everybody, we are on chapter 19, verse 10. And we are going to be talking about choices. The choices we make every moment of how we are going to react in the face of provocation, in the face of temptation, you know, we've all got our triggers and um, the difference between an, a spiritually refined human being um, and one who still has a lot of work to do is how much control do you have over your own self, over your own reactions to, um, you know, when provoked. All right. So. We're on page 198 for those of you who are following along in the book, okay? Verse 10. Lo ta'anug. Luxury is not seemly for a fool. Ach eved Much less for a bondservant to rule over princes. Okay? So King Solomon is telling us two things that are unseemly, right? Two things that are not according to the natural order of the universe, so one is that a fool should not be indulging in luxury. And number two, a bond servant should not rule over princes. Okay, now we know many times in this text, we have um, a statement, which is both true at face value and also serves as a metaphor, as a symbol for some greater meaning or truth. Okay, and that is the case with our verse here today. So again, luxury is not seemly for a fool, much less for a bondservant to rule over princes. So when we say a fool in this text, what we're talking about is that the Hebrew is a kassil. A kassil is a person who has access to higher wisdom, but does not access their higher wisdom because it cramps their style and it gets in the way of the things that they want to do. Their temptations, their desires, their, you know, drives. And so they squelch or tamper, tamp down what they, what they know to be real and true and good and wise, because it is going to get in the way of the things that they want to do. Okay. So, you know, if any of you have ever had this experience where you're like, should I say this or should I write this or should I do this? And then there's a little voice in your conscience saying, well, I don't know. And you're like, shut up. I'm doing it anyway. That's what we're talking about. Okay. So for some people, this happens sporadically. And for some people, this is a way of life, right? So here, the Casile, we're, we're talking both about a person for whom this is a way of life. This is their pattern and habit. But of course, as students of Musser, our job is to look inward and ask ourselves, when am I acting like a seal, right? When am I acting foolish? when I'm shutting down the voice of my wisdom because I just really want to do what I want to do. 
Um, welcome, Debbie. So I am reminded of a magazine that I used to read when I was a kid, and I'm sure many of you have as well. This is the Highlight Magazine, Highlights Magazine, right? Any of you used to read this as a kid, or maybe you bought it for your kids? Okay, so when, when I was a kid, I used to read this magazine, and when my kids were little, I bought them the magazine. And it's interesting to notice there were a few changes. First of all, Highlights Magazine, like, it didn't change in like 50 years or maybe more, but then they started introducing some changes. So first of all, one of the changes um, was Goofus and Gallant. Do you guys remember Goofus and Gallant? Goofus is like the kid who always does everything wrong. And Gallant is the, is the kid who always does everything right. Now, I don't know if they're like two brothers or two friends, or maybe they're the same person and it's an alter ego. I don't know. But the old version of highlights used to say, Goofus, you know, grabs all the cookies and doesn't pay attention that other people want one. Gallant offers his friend the cookie before taking one for himself, right? And of course, you're supposed to learn from Gallant and don't learn from Goofus. So one of the changes they made, which I thought was actually a really positive change and very on point with Musser. And I, I can't believe I never thought of this before, but it's actually very relevant to how this book is structured. The change that they made was, I feel like Goofus when I da-da-da-da-da. I feel like Gallant when, or I'm acting like Goofus when this, I'm acting like Gallant when. So instead of presenting it as these two, like totally, you know, like this binary stereotype, good, bad, right, wrong, behave, not behave. It's more like, listen, we all have a Goofus inside of us and we all have a Gallant inside of us. And when I act like like this, I'm accessing my Goofus. And when I act like that, I'm, you know, accessing my Gallant. I thought that was a really good change because otherwise it's so, it's so stark. It's so black and white. You know, nobody is always going to be the good guy. Nobody's always going to be the bad guy. The point, and that's, this book is also written, you know, in extremes, the wise person is the foolish person that, but what a, a sophisticated student of Musser is supposed to do is, you know, well, I sometimes act like, you know, the fool when I do this. And I sometimes act like the wise person when I do that. And that's how we're supposed to understand, you know, these like extreme stereotypes, of course, it's much easier to say, oh, I know somebody who fits that, you know, stereotype. I know some, you know, whack job who always <laughs> acts like a fool. And that's fine, but that's not really the purpose of muster. The purpose of muster is to really look inside ourselves and say, when do I exhibit these tendencies? Or when am I leaning a little bit too far to this kind of behavior? And how can I bring my myself a little bit closer? Okay. So Let's read the commentary. Um, okay, Zoom user, who are you? Thank you for coming. Pam. Oh, hi, Pam. How are you? Ah, I'm good. How are I you? I you right away. I'm glad you're here. Yeah. I have gray hair today and it's pulled back. I need a color. You look adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to you? our class. Thank you. Finally. <laughs> Yay. I'm glad you're here, everyone. This is Pam from New York City. Say hi. Hi, Pam. Hi, Pam. Hi. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the commentary. The fool ignores his real knowledge of morality for the sake of physical pleasure. Okay, so this is a person who is choosing short-term gain at the expense of long-term wisdom, right? The wisdom that we have is wisdom that usually takes a long time to grow. If you think about, you know, the things that you know about life probably took years to learn. We learn certain things in our teens and we learn certain things in our twenties and we learn certain things in our 
thirties and we learn certain things in our forties and well, I'm not 50 yet, but we'll learn certain things. That I, should, I, should, I should keep going, Sydney, 50s, 60s, 70s, <laughs> stop, <laughs> 80s. Amazing. And we keep learning, right? There's no such thing as being done learning. I was just talking to a friend of mine about this. Somebody texted me yesterday and she goes, I, and this, this is somebody who converted to Judaism as an adult. She's like, I have a question. You know, why is the prayer book structured like this and that? She had a question for me. And I said, I said, that's a great question. And I want you to know, I just learned about this a year ago and, and I shared the answer with her. And she's like, you know, that was one of the things that attracted me most about Judaism, that there's always more to learn. She's like, you're never, ever, ever done learning, right? It's like, if you'll excuse the bad parallel, I remember during COVID when like nobody had anything to do, you know, when people were posting on social media, okay, I finished Netflix. What should I do next? <laughs> you know, like there's no finishing Torah study. Torah study is infinite. Why? Because God is infinite and God's mind is infinite. So of course God's wisdom would be infinite. So what I was trying to tell my friend is like, don't feel funny about asking that question. Like she converted like 20 years ago, you know, and she was like, well, maybe I should know this. I'm like, no, no, there's no such thing. I said, there's so much that I don't know about Judaism. And there's so much that, you know, my husband, who's a rabbi, like, he'll be like, oh, I never knew that. Oh, I, I, I never knew that, you know, about that teaching or about that little piece of Talmud or that Midrash. There's no shame because there's ne you're never, never done, Right. So we're never, never done learning. And that's amazing. And that's beautiful. And that also keeps us humble because nobody knows everything. But the point is that as we progress through our lives, we should always be trying to accumulate more wisdom. And so the older we get, if we're, if we're doing life right, the older we get, the wiser we are. So that hard won wisdom should be really, really precious and why would you trade that for this momentary jolt of pleasure? Because you had some super smart retort to say to somebody, or you had like just the witty statement, or in a moment of weakness, you let yourself do something that you, you know, you're not going to be proud of tomorrow. Why would you do that? That's a terrible trade. You're not going to get a good return on your investment. Let the wisdom that has taken you so long to accumulate, let that guide your decisions, not your, you know, momentary desires or some flash of anger or envy or, you know, physical want. So again, the fool ignores his real knowledge of morality for the sake of physical pleasure. This pleasure, however, is not becoming to him since it puts his soul, which should govern his body at the mercy of the body instead. So now what the commentary is doing is it's connecting the two halves of the verse, right? The first half of the verse is luxury is not seemly for a fool, meaning the per a person who has access to wisdom should not let it go for the sake of some luxurious indulge, you know, indulgence. The second half of the verse is much less for a bondservant to rule over princes. What's the connection? The relationship of the body and soul is like a relationship to a servant and a master. What does that mean? So I'll just finish up the commentary and then I'll explain what it means. This inversion of the natural order is conveyed by the metaphor of a bond servant dominating a prince. So here we have our body and our soul and our body and our soul are in a relationship. 
right? It's a partnership. Some might say it's an unlikely partnership. You have your soul, which is the spark of ultimate goodness. It's a piece of God that's within each of us, right? What does the soul want to do? The soul wants to do good in this world. The soul wants to create eternity. The soul wants to create legacy. The soul wants to do actions in this world that will help other people, that will fill the world with meaning, that will outlast us. Right When I die, God willing, may I have 120 happy, healthy years on this planet. But when I die, what will be left of me after I'm gone? That's what the soul wants to do. The soul wants to give and the soul wants to help and the soul wants to contribute and the soul wants to leave a lasting impression on others, right? Yesterday, I went to a Shiva house. My um, aunt was sitting Shiva for her father. We were on our way back from New Jersey. My niece got married and um, on the way back, we stopped in Baltimore to stop at this, at this Shiva house. And my aunt is one of 10 kids, five boys and five, I mean, they're not boys and girls, they're men and women at this point, all sitting in, sitting Shiva in the same house. And all of them were talking about like, apparently she's like, apparently my father was like this huge Torah scholar. She's like, that, that's not how I perceived him. I just perceived him as the guy who would do anything for us, you know, and just watching all 10 kids talk about their father. And I was like, this is it. This is legacy. Who are you? What do people know of you? What do people feel about you when you're gone? That is the eternal imprint that you leave in this world. That's what the soul wants. Now there's a body. What does the body want? The body wants to be cozy and the body wants fuzzy socks and the body wants chocolate and the body wants to luxuriate. And when we say body, we don't just mean the physical body, but even the lower drives of our emotional world to lash out at somebody, to say whatever we want, to do whatever we want without worrying about consequence, without worrying about the long term. So what is the right relationship between body and soul? So there's many different metaphors out there in Torah literature about what is the ideal relationship between body and soul. One of them is right here in our verse, but I'll give you another one just for context. So I believe it's in the book, The Ways of the Righteous, Orchus Tzadikim, which is what we're doing on Tuesdays, for those of you who are also in that class, that the ideal relationship between body and soul is the relationship between a horse and its rider. So if you have a horse, right, the horse is like unbridled physicality. A horse is very strong. A horse is very big. And the horse wants to do certain things. The horse wants to bolt. The horse wants to run. The horse wants to, you know, neigh and jump up. And so what does the rider have to do? The rider has to understand that it is in control of the horse and not the other way around. Now, the rider cannot get to where it's going without the horse, right? The rider needs the horse for its unbridled physicality. With the horse, the rider can go much farther, much faster than it can by itself. But if the horse is in charge of its rider, you have a very dangerous situation on your hands. The rider has to be in charge of the horse. The rider is the brains behind the operation. The horse is the physical engine necessary to make it go. So what that text is trying to say is that's a relationship between body and soul, right? My soul has to be in charge of my body. My body is like a horse. 
it's very big and it's very physical and it wants to go a lot of places and do a lot of things. If the soul is not in charge of the body, you have a very dangerous situation on your hands. The soul has to understand that it is the brains behind the operation. It has to dominate the body. It has to say to the body, no, 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 no. This is not what we're doing today. No, no, no. This is not what we're saying right now. Nope. That's not what we're eating right now. I am in charge and you are subject to me. So the metaphor in our text is the relationship between a prince and a bondsman. The prince is in charge of the servant. I mean, you know, excuse the dated metaphor, okay? okay. Right? If if the bondsman is in charge of the prince, you have a very dangerous situation on your hands, right? You have like the inmates running the prison. That's very dangerous. The prince has to, now, of course, the prince has to rule with benevolence and with wisdom, but the prince has to be in charge. So what this, this verse is telling us is that this fool who is shutting down the voice of his soul in order to listen to the voice of the body, that is very dangerous. And that is just like a bond servant dominating a prince. It's just like the horse being in charge of the rider. So we have to understand that that voice inside of our heads that, and, and we know it when we hear it, we know that's the voice of my soul. And sometimes it's a really inconvenient voice. Sometimes we don't want it to talk to us because we just want to do what we want to do. But before you shut down that voice and say, shut up, I'm not listening to you today. Just remember that you're putting the horse in charge of the rider. You're putting the bondsman in charge of the prince. And that comes at great risk. And that comes with a price tag. And we all know that when we have messed up and we have slipped and we have let our body, you know, run the show and dictate the rules, a person of conscience is going to have a lot of cleanup to do later, you know, and we've all done it. We've all indulged. We've done things we shouldn't do. We've hurt people. We've indulged in negative habits and we're going to pay the price tomorrow. We're going to have to deal with it, right? Just like a person who drinks too much, it's gonna, they're going to have a hangover the next day. They're going to feel it. So you're, you're going to feel it. You're going to have apologies to make. You're going to have a big cleanup job ahead of you. Is it really worth the price? That's what you want to ask yourself. Okay. Thoughts, comments on verse 10. Okay, we shall move on. Verse 11. It is a man's good sense to be slow to anger, and his glory to pass over a transgression. Okay, so on the same theme, we're talking about the ability to control one's emotions, right? Which is the soul ruling over the body. So we're talking about being slow to anger and to pass over a transgression. That means that if somebody did wrong to you, that you're willing to be able to tolerate it and not take revenge. That is the soul controlling the body because the body wants to lash out and the body wants to do harm and the body wants to get even. Right. Whereas, as we said, it's not just literally physical things, but it's more like, you know, the animal instinct inside of us. What does it want to do versus what does the voice of the soul want to do? 
Okay, so the commentary says it is a mere common sense and self-interest to refrain from lashing out immediately to avenge an injury. So sometimes a person says to himself, well, it's my right. It's well within my rights, you know, or they deserve it. So we're trying to tell ourselves that really it's good for me to lash out at this person. Well, that may be good for you in the moment. You might feel really good. And you might have just the right cutting words to say, but is it really good for you? Like, here, here's what he's saying. It's mere common sense and self-interest. If you really want to do what's good for you, you would wait because you're going to have to pay for this, you know? Um, and I will say that pop culture, you know, TV, movies, they kind of feed on this because People always have, you know, obviously these shows are written by professional writers, teams of writers. And so, of course, they always have just the right words to say, you know, in some dramatic scene, you know, and then they it's just the right timing with just the right music. And then there's some dramatic exit. And it's like, oof, yeah, he got them good. <clears throat> Real life never quite plays out that way. Right. And sometimes you're like, oh, I wish I would have thought of that i wish it would have had that witty retort i wish i would have you know had just the right words to say to shut that person down but the truth of the matter is that that's if you think that that's what's good for you it's just that you're you're only looking at the very short-term situation and you're not looking at the long-term situation you know and while of course relationships can grow and change and thrive even after terrible words have been spoken but sometimes those words are going to linger in the air forever, you know, and I do believe in the power of relationships to be resilient and to come back even after rifts. But sometimes those words, words that are spoken in anger are sometimes never forgotten. Once they're out, they're out, you know, and there's no taking them back. It's interesting how technology um, has evolved to give us opportunities to change the things we say. Like, I think you can unsend an email within like, I don't know, a few seconds or something like that. You can now edit, you know, a text that you send. Although I'm pretty sure you could text the edit history. You could check the edit history if somebody had sent you an edited text. But in real life, you can't do that. Once those words are out of your mouth, they are hanging in the air forever. There's no retrieving them and there's no editing them. Again, of, again, of course, we believe in the power of teshuva, repentance. We believe in forgiveness. We believe in renewal. We believe in the power of Yom Kippur. But I'm sure every single one of you can think of words that were spoken, whether by you or someone else, that will never be forgotten, that will just always be out there in the world. So you might feel like this cutting retort is just so good for you to say, but is it really good for you to say, or is it just feels good for right now, but it's really going to come back to bite you in the future? Okay. So again, to the commentary, it is a mere common self and self-interest to refrain from lashing out immediately to avenge an injury. It is a higher level of humanity when one can entirely suppress feelings of vengeance, even in his heart. 
So this is a very, very refined, evolved level of being a human being that is even privately, you don't seek revenge. But you could tell yourself things like, listen, that person is really limited. They really struggle. Hurt people hurt people. If I were them, I might react the same way. Um, maybe they grew up without any love. Whatever you need to tell yourself so that you feel less vengeful, even in your heart, right? So what are we saying? It is a beautiful state of, you know, character development to feel vengeful and not take revenge. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Five stars, go you. It's even more amazing and beautiful if you can try to work on soothing those feelings, even in your heart, and to come to a calmer and more peaceful way of viewing other people. This is the glory of the morally wise man. So even though we are saying that in the moment, it's going to feel so good to say certain things or do certain things or to stew in your vengeful feelings, right? But if you really want to do what's good for you, really good for you, right? It, this is not even a favor for the other person. This is a favor you do to yourself. If you really want to do what feels good, right? Is that you just ride the wave and you let it pass and you say, you know what? No, I am. That is, that is not who I am. I am not that person. I do not need to stoop to that level. And it is amazing how it is amazing how good we feel about ourselves when we have grown in a particular area. You know, um, the other day I was listening to two people have a conversation and I thought that they were arguing about something. And in the privacy of my own mind, I was like, wow, they're both wrong. <laughs> and I was thinking of so many things that I wanted to say. And I'm like, Rookie, this is not your battleground. Just <laughs> your mouth shut. And I did. And we were, we were eating dinner and I was like, I was eating and I was sort of smiling to myself and I was like, wow, I have come a long way. <laughs> and I cannot describe to you how good that felt to just know that I had the power over my own desires and drives and that I did something or refrained from doing something that had no constructive benefit in the world, right? <laughs> Thanks, Robin. Um, and that's what really feels good. That's what really feels good. Like I'm even feeling it right now when I'm repeating the story to you is this incredible sense of nachas of yourself at how far you've come and at how much you've grown. And I know those of you who are, who are students of Muster, you've all had this experience where you've had a moment where you've chosen a better way and you're like, look at me rocking this thing, right? It feels amazing. It feels so much better than any indulgence you would have allowed yourself to pipe in, to, you know, to, you know, just push yourself where you're not needed and say whatever pops into your head. And then afterwards, you're like, why? Why did I do that? So if you really want to feel good, if you really want to feel good, choose the higher path. Okay, thoughts, comments on verse 11. I think one of the things that's hard about choosing the higher path is that if your role models 
well, one in particular growing up rarely chose that path. Um, it's really, I think it makes it um, even more challenging to try to take the hybrid. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, when we look at like how God judges people, it's all based on how far you've come because everybody starts at a different point, right? If somebody grew up in a home where they were raised with acts of kindness and hospitality and speaking well of others, giving people the benefit of the doubt, right? So then their starting point was like at plus a hundred, right? Yeah. So then what do they have to do? They have to grow in their lives, taking their starting point and moving further along from their starting point. But if somebody grew up in a home where people were regularly spoken badly about, you know, where it was just sort of common practice to, to be vengeful or to be dishonest or to evade the rules, you know, so then fine. So that, that person's starting point might be at minus a hundred, right? Th that person's not going to be penalized for that. That's just sort of the place where God plunked them down. You know, like when you play a board game, everybody starts on the same square but in real life nobody starts on the same square we all start out on all different points on the on the board so you could look at the board and say oh wow that piece is really ahead of the other piece but nobody knows where that piece started maybe that piece advanced 10 steps since it started and the other piece moved backwards rocky right. can i make a comment yeah go ahead so this uh even though it's not speaking of words but this reminds me of like somebody who gives a lot of um someone who's very philanthropic, someone who like, it's like, I think giving is like with the right arm. And if it's very easy for them and they have money and they're used to it, like you said, like maybe they grew up with it versus somebody who it's very difficult and they've never, they didn't grow up with it. And they, and it's hard for them to give $18 or 36 or whatever the amount is. Right. You, you don't know that maybe the, in how God sees it, that person who it's very difficult is at a higher level than the person who's giving to everybody and everybody knows their name kind of thing. Absolutely. So when you said that, that's what that reminded me of. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about how hard you work, right? That's what it says in ethics of the fathers. Lefum Tara Agra, according to the effort is the reward. So, so that's why Gail, we're not compared to anybody else except for our former selves. Okay. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Rochi, can I tell a, a yeah, a, Sherry, go ahead. That might be hard to tell. Um, I'm going to use the names Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Calls me and says Tom is so mad at me. Um, because I said that because Jerry told me that there was a miscarriage at about two-ish months. And Tom said, you know, your sister had a miscarriage at two-ish months. And I had a miscarriage at two-ish months. And other people have had miscarriages and it's not meant to be. And Hashem, you know, maybe this is Hashem's work or whatever. So I said, okay, thank you. And hung up the phone and went into Shabbos. And then Tom called me on Sunday and said, I'm so sad. Yeah. 
that just baby died at two and a half months. And they, stupid, don't I don't think our keys will work. And there's going to be a shiva. And I said, oh my gosh, Jerry thinks there was a miscarriage, not the death of a baby. And the two of them, Tom and Jerry, were no longer talking for a few days because of this miscommunication. And so I called up Jerry and said, you've got to call Tom. And there was a huge miscommunication. And basically, it was the all the things that you're mentioning that, you know, benefit of the doubt and you know, the short term for the long term and not listening and, um, you know, just all the things, that, you know, slow to anger and every single thing that you're mentioning is just insane considering this all happened to a group wow. of before Shabbos and Sunday and Monday. Mm. Wow. It's it's like taking a very, very painful situation and making it a thousand times worse. Yeah. Wow. Tom and Jerry have made up, thank God. Um, there's still, sadly, a baby who died at two and a half months. But, you know, at I'm least... So sorry. Um, do you have the Hebrew name of that baby that we could perhaps learn in their merit? Yes, I, we will do that next week. Um, okay. Because... The name, um, Hebrew name. So I will get that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sorry. The name of the little boy is Meyer. Okay. Yeah. So Thank anyway, you. exactly. What, yeah. Which is Thank you, Sherry. For sharing that. that. Robin. Um, so this was actually sort of commenting on what Gail was saying before, and I've kind of lost the clarity on what I was thinking, but you had said, so Gail, I know said something about, you know, like struggling in one area and you had said like really feeling um, good about something. And mine was um, having to do with, um, there was like this terrible gossip going on one night. Well, it was actually a Shabbat dinner. And I, I think I probably said this to you. I, I just was able to kind of shut down. I just got very quiet. And my husband was like, are you okay? You're okay. I was like, I'm fine. I like had to kind of go into this state of, so I didn't hear it. Um, but I didn't realize until this class, like, I always think of this as an umbrella of like goodness and of, you know, uh, upgrading yourself and learning and all that, but it really, really everyone has struggles within these different things. And that was just kind of more of a comment, you know, where this is much harder for me, I think, than, than other parts of, of learning have been. I'm sorry. I don't think I understood which, which is. Which part is much harder? Just the idea, you know, that you're discussing today, just this idea of, um, you know, like I take things very personally and I could really shut somebody out if they make a mistake. I'm very oh, quick, oh, to oh. Kind of, not anger, but I'm very quick to be like, okay, done with that person. Whereas the gossip, more of, you know, the idea of not listening and not speaking gossip is a much easier one for me. So I didn't, mm -hmm. you know, I think all along I've been thinking, oh, these are just all these things that you learn and you can upgrade. This one feels trickier to mm -hmm. me. I don't know if it's because of, you know, what Gail just said, like maybe it's something you grow up with or so um, it just occurred mm -hmm. to me that some are much more. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that. And I, I think we mentioned this last week, but I'm going to share it again. Um, when it comes to canceling people, 
and looking at things in, in very black and white terms, you know, and I've been experiencing this so much on social media, which I'm, I'm very active on social media. And one of the people who I follow, there's, there's a gentleman that I follow whom I, I've mentioned his name several times in my classes because I find him to be such an inspirational person. His name is Joshua Kumbas, and he is a professional hairdresser and he lives in London and he travels through the city and he finds homeless people and he gives them haircuts. But he doesn't just give them haircuts. He like shampoos their hair and he makes them feel really special and he talks to them and he collects their stories. You know, and if they give him permission, he takes photos before and after and he shares their stories on social media. And he's trying to put a face and a soul onto homelessness. Such a beautiful initiative, such a beautiful soul. Thank you. I love following him. I love his stories. Yesterday, I saw on Instagram that he posted a picture of a gentleman who was um, a victim of a bombing in Syria when he was a child and he had disfigurement on his face and he was talking about you know, how, how empathetic he was towards his plate. And he's like, and there are children in Gaza who are being bombed and we need to help the children in Gaza. And he's starting a collection for the children of Gaza. And I'm like, well, what about all the Jewish children in Israel who don't have parents anymore because Hamas killed them, you know, on October 7th. And I was like, my, my like knee jerk reaction was unfollow Joshua Kumbis, you know? And then I'm like, I'm not going to do that because this is a multi-tiered individual who does a lot of good in the world and who is probably motivated to help the children of Gaza by a desire to do good in the world. Now, it happens to, to be that, why are you picking the children of Gaza? There are a thousand humanitarian crises in the world. Why only them? You know, but okay, okay, okay. I can put that aside. Now, why do I mention this? Not because my relationship with Joshua Kumpas is an important relationship in my life. He couldn't care less. He has no idea who I am. It's not about that. It's about the character trait. Because everything that we pick builds a character trait, right? And, and that's like what you're talking about, Robin, about like canceling people, shutting people down, saying you, you weren't there for me. I'm going to shut down a 20-year friendship because you didn't show up for me. Or I'm going to judge you based on this one thing that you did, which could be legitimately wrong and bad, but maybe there's much more to you, you know, and I'm really working on this. Like there was a time in my, you know, social media activity where I would just unfollow, unfollow, unfollow. I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need you. But now I'm like, what does that really build in me as a human being? I want to be able to view people as multi-tiered individuals. And so that's one of the ways that I'm practicing it. You know, when, when people say something that is so outrageous and so ridiculous, you know, that I can say, okay, that's one aspect of who they are, but there are many more aspects of who they are. And that's not to say, Robin, that we should allow ourselves to be vulnerable to people who hurt us or that we should stay in close relationships with people who are not healthy for us, but that's those not those are not the only two choices like live breathe sleep each other all day cancel you i have nothing to do with you there's many options in the middle you know and and practicing that character trait of being able to be nuanced in our thinking and to hold you know many different thoughts about other people at the same time which can all be true I think that's a very important character trait when we're talking about, you know, not reacting and lashing out and being vengeful, you know, the, that's the trait. That's the kernel of the character trait that we're trying to grow in. And it is hard. You say anything about Israel. It's like my knee jerk reaction is you are my sworn enemy, you know, but 
is that really good for humanity to look at the world that way? It's not. Ruchi, I heard the head of the AGL say one of the ways to handle people, and obviously we can't do this, but heads of organizations can do this, is counsel, not cancel. Hmm. And I thought that that was great because why can't we teach and educate? Now I can't go out and just be teaching everybody, you know, anti-Zionists, you know, what Zionism is about, but maybe large organizations can do that and maybe they won't be canceled. Maybe they'll have a new point of view. And if they don't, they don't, you know, now maybe cancel, maybe cancel Nazis, but maybe counsel (laughs) people who aren't educated about a particular thing. So I thought that was a great. That is great. And, and I'm glad you mentioned like maybe cancel Nazis. Like I do think there are some people who should be canceled. I'm not saying that nobody belongs in that category. Yeah. He said some people need canceling and some people need. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And yeah. 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 Um, I'm not sure if my speak. We hear you. Your story about the, the hairdresser story reminded me, I heard you speak a few weeks ago and we actually had a private conversation as well about something else. And it it stayed with me and I've actually shared it with a few people about people having different, about not necessarily immediately being angry or vengeful, but when people have different ideas about things, they may actually have the same ideas, but are coming from different places. Mm -hmm. Um, It was specific. It was this conversation that you and I had had was about people dealing with people in, in regard to the um, situation in Israel and Gaza and pro-Palestinian and and humanitarian versus the need to, to be on the defense versus offense um, and we had talked about how to handle certain people who are just coming from, from you know, are feel a certain way. <clears throat> and you you said something to me that has stayed with me about how someone who has compassion, we are all we all have the same compassion and, and are, are all concerned, but people may approach it in a different way. And so rather than being, you know, it made me, the hairdresser story made me think of that. Like, yes, he could do something different, but this is where he's, he's a a good, he had, he's coming from, from a place of kindness. Mm -hmm. So you, to lash out completely and to, you know, and to not try and suppress, as you were saying before about having the ability to suppress the feelings of, of vengeance or to cancel someone is not necessarily, you know, the, the right thing to do immediately. And that is, you know, that is a knee jerk reaction sometimes. So it's important to, to think about that. I didn't really word it right, but I know that, you know, what I'm, what I'm speaking of. So, um, counseling, not canceling sometimes doesn't work. So you also have to think about, about where someone's ideas and, 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 their soul is coming from as well. Right. Um, right. And sometimes it's but, just a matter of, of not responding because your, your counseling is going to fall on deaf ears. And, right. But, right. but that's taking, that's taking the high road and yes. in terms of putting it to what you're discussing today. And that, I mean, that to me is growth also. And that's something, yep. that, you know, I strive to do that sometimes it, it is important to, to stop and wait and not open your mouth and, mm-hmm because there might be a reason behind it and it just, it, it's yeah. best for all. 
So. Yeah, thank you. And I think one of the most important things you just said is your knee-jerk reaction, because I think that almost all the time, the very first thing that pops into our head to do is not is not the high road, yeah. right? <laughs> and so be very, very suspicious of the very first thing that pops into your head and just give your voice of wisdom a minute to find its feet, <laughs> you know, and to say, okay, wait, let's think about this for one second, you know, yeah. to give your voice of wisdom a minute to step up. Okay. Thank you so much, everybody, for participating. Thank you. Thank you. Dana, did you want to share something before we go? Really, really, really quickly. I also was going to send you a voice note. I was going to say that I have a feeling, going back to your horse and the rider metaphor, Yeah, I have a feeling that most people on this call, you know, who do any learning with you or anybody else, um, want to be the rider and not be the horse. But we live in a world where most people don't even have the awareness that there is a horse and a rider, that that's even an option. So to go through life with that, knowing that is, you know, it's, it's, it feels a little, it feels a little better. Um, it feels better. And it just that awareness um, yeah. takes away a lot of problems that you could have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, good to see you all. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Have a wonderful Shabbat shalom. Thank, Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Thank you. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining. Bye. Bye.